listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Okay, that was it. That was, was a story I told on here, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay, well then there it is. The have you heard that story actually? Yeah. I, I it's have good. It. Is it worth telling again, Bracken, to set us up? I'll give you cliff notes just so that you understand when the question arrives. Okay. I was home for Christmas one year and I, I went out and did a tempo run and in the middle of it, just like the contractions started getting closer and closer and I wasn't going to make it home. So I ran down these railroad tracks where there's a little ravine and like held onto a root at the bottom and leaned back and just evacuated in such a <laughs> horrific manner. And right as it was finishing up, I heard a noise and I look over and like five or six feet to the left of me is a homeless man sleeping. <laughs> I, I had just defecated all over his front lawn slash living room slash bedroom. And then he started to get up because he it was it was at night. It was pitch black. And there's and there's no lights for this railroad track. So he can't really see what's going on. And I can't tell if he's going to like charge me. And I have compression shorts around my ankles and I'm hanging off a tree root, just caught in the most vulnerable position ever. And I wanted to stick around and apologize for what I'd just done. But there's no, there's no words for that situation. They don't make a Hallmark card for that. <laughs> I'm dying. So I like stumble ran away with like six inches of travel of my legs inside of my compression shorts, got around the corner had to use my socks and then walk ashamed home. And we both know the socks didn't do the job. And the funny thing about this is this, this poor soul, this poor soul is like sleeping there. Like I've hit rock bottom. They're thinking, and then they're like, Oh wait, now this is rock bottom. And then Bracken's down there holding a tree root going like, this is rock bottom. And then he looks over and he's like, nope, this is rock bottom. Only worst scenario is had he charged me and we both fell over, like wrestling onto the ground right there. Like, you can't rip this kind of thing. Oh my gosh. Both of us no. were more ashamed than we'd ever been in our life for very different reasons. Bracken. How did we, this was the best start to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is what the people are here for. <laughs> I'm glad I brought that up. I'm, I'm really, I don't regret that. Yeah. I do. I <laughs> regret <laughs> the whole situation. I, I had think... stopped like at a sub shop and a gas station and they were all, cause it was like 1130 at night. It's one of those we'd been with family all day and I didn't start my workout till late and they were all closed. I couldn't go anywhere. But once you stop once, you know how your body knows like, all right, we can relax. Now the end's in sight. And then once the train's left, they're like, you can't, you can't stop it. <laughs> I feel like you could, um, like if you took a couple endurance athletes in one room, even just the three of us right now, I bet we could have a lot of these stories oh, yeah. last for a long time. Yeah. But hey, that's, that's part of it. That's well, did you see that? the most recent plane catastrophe where it had to go turn around and land because somebody had really bad diarrhea on the plane so bad it 
got all over the plane en route to the bathroom. They had to go back and they had to land the plane, clean it up, and then like retry. It was a woman. Everybody assumed it was a guy that had this problem because that's what you envision, like a guy like Bracken who's disgusting. But no. (laughs) It was a lady. Oh, man. Yep. It don't discriminate. That's just every hotel room you've ever stayed in the night before a race. (laughs) Morning of. (laughs) Yeah. You have to get very – you have to know. You don't want to see a doctor. I feel like like, you you have to be able to know them at the closest level. Yeah. When someone's like, hey, would you like to room together? You have to think, am I comfortable with this person seeing me on race morning (laughs) in all – of its detail and glory. And if you can answer yes to that, then you're going to be bound for life. <laughs> well, okay, before we're going to get to business here shortly, but this is business. What well, business? My race morning, my race morning routine would be no different. Like nerves or not, like I don't think I react differently in the morning. What's what's your situation, Bracken? Now, don't say Bracken. Every person <laughs> I've ever roomed with ever is a minimum three extra trips to the bathroom in the morning. It's like a juice cleanse or, or something has, has gone on. But Kirk, like for Kirk, I mean, are you used to like, you do all your training first thing in the morning and like, do you get kind of nerve, like not nervous, but you kind of the same level of excitement or dread or like anticipation for your workouts in that time of day. Yeah. Quality sessions. For sure, yeah. It's very part of the routine, so it doesn't – not much is different. It'd be very rare for me to wake up and be like, Bleh! and then, like, have a mess of a morning. It isn't typical for, for me. Is what I'm understanding. Wait, is it the same for you? I mean, are you talking Like, about- is it a normal day, or do you have the Bracken nerves? Yeah, well, Bracken's like – Bracken always says, like, like, he'll sign up for a race that's six months out. He'll, like, be like, click, I just paid for this race. I'm committed. And then he immediately runs to the bathroom because it incites that in him, even by – clicking the button to register so that's i guess that's what i'm asking yes. you <laughs> I, there's definitely a difference with the nerves though like on race morning i'm with i'm with brack in there that is not just a regular morning <clears throat> and i think i think too just like the obviously i always talk to my athletes about about eating before racing um as if like that's, you know, you want to practice that in your training in the morning beforehand too. So like that should be something that you, that's, that's pretty regimented by race morning. But at the same time, I think like, you know, whether it's trying to add in a little bit more volume of food just to be sure on race, you know, on race day, maybe that does it a little bit too. Um, But no, it's definitely, I'm, I'm on, team bracken here maybe like maybe in between you two but (laughs) i think kirk's the outlier i think that everyone listening is like yeah absolutely race morning's a train wreck a train carrying massive amounts of (laughs) lots of cargo lots of cargo (laughs) (laughs) speaking to corinna's point though i will say about being routine I've had two 5Ks in the evening this last month at 10 p.m. And normally, like, I'm done for the day by noon, right? Like, I'm not – me in the bathroom don't really hang out much, you know, second half of the day. But on these race days, as the race got later – or as the day got later, it was like a whole thing came up that I have not experienced before, and it came up both days in the evening. So maybe, to your testament, it's a routine thing too. Yeah. Well, it's like you're – Do we want to keep – 
I just think that yeah, every not, yeah. race venue Portageon would side with Corinna and I. <laughs> True. <laughs> Have you ever right. been in line at a Anything... race and the person in front of you not apologized on their way out? It's <laughs> just like what happens. You all mill around talking and the person comes out and goes, oh, I'm sorry. Race day, am I right? And then they, they the leave. Like, no, Bragan, the worst is like leaving, is like holding the door open for the next person in line because it's courteous and there's a huge line, knowing that, like, I mean, we all just want to slam the door and just like walk away, pretend like it didn't happen, but you're just kind of like, oh, I guess I'll hold the door open for this person, knowing very well what yeah. awaits. Yeah. Yeah, that, this was me. <laughs> you yep, go sit your sweaty ass. Yeah, and it's like the <laughs> it's like a canyon rock formation where you can just see the strata of who's been there before you, and you know, like top layer, that was her. <laughs> Corn, huh? That was risky the night before. <laughs> or like you, you take a bunch of toilet paper just. To go <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, that's a good technique. Put it on top and be like, it's kind of a oh man, this is so funny. I <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to throw out there that the little urinal piece, I always thought it was a sink and that little thing in the, the little soap thing at the bottom. Oh, God. <laughs> it was soap. Did you ever grab it? Tell me you yeah. haven't picked that up. No, I was like, this doesn't, like, this, this looks like a nasty sink that hasn't been used in a while. It was always dried out. You know, I'm like, I don't think anyone's used this in a long time. And so, you know, I never reached for it, but I think I, someone else was saying that I remember having conversation. I was like, I felt a lot better that it wasn't me. The only, I wasn't the only one who had that thought. So for anyone listening, who's, who's also thought that you're not alone, but Those aren't soap cakes. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, we're here and we're rolling. I have to imagine the number of children, like first time, like you're seven, like you can go use the porta potty by yourself now and they go and they use it. And then they're like, they try to put two and two together and they're like, that makes sense. And then they grab that puck and they try to wash their precious little hands. I can't imagine. Um, why don't we, why don't, should we set this thing up? Cause not that we have a limited time window, but we don't have our full two hours. Can we get to business? Bracken, you probably have a couple more poop things you want to wedge in there. <laughs> no. Any last parting words before we yeah, get to business? No, I feel like like we have appropriately addressed the topic for now. And if we if we have to circle back to it later, we do that. All right. Um, so today we have Corinna coughing on again. Uh, we had you on, what, like a month ago maybe, Corinna? Four or five weeks ago, we had a great conversation. Uh, I brought up a few of my athletes work with you, and they still continue to have nothing but great things to say. And after that episode, we also got more follow-up questions, right? Like, And we didn't really get to get to everything. I felt like we could have kept talking the first time. So we um, decided to throw up a Q&A for Corinna, Corinna Q&A about nutrition on our running public Instagram. And this was a few weeks ago, but we're finally here to answer specific questions because i feel like we did a good job of talking theory um but we didn't we didn't ask a ton of real specific questions we got dialed in on a few things but there's a lot of things the listeners are curious about that didn't cross our mind so that's what we're doing today are you are you cool with that corinna i'm cool with it excellent sweet all right i sent you this is very very much preparation for what we typically do i sent you a list of the questions a few hours ago kirk and i both have them and so we'll just take turns firing them off at you. 
Some of them are nonsense, which is why the podcast started out the way it did today. Uh, some of them are actually really good, and some have a bit of both. So we're just going to – we won't get to them all, but we'll sample through them. Is the goal, Bracken, just be – I can get wordy. And I know you guys always say that, like, more conversation is always better. But is the goal to kind of be very punctual with these responses so we can get through the majority of them and elaborate when there's more to elaborate on? Whenever we do Q&As – we say, we're going to keep this to just the facts. And then like eight minutes later, we move mm-hmm. on to question number two. <laughs> so like, when possible, yeah, let's be succinct. But we all know what's going to happen and there's permission to do so. Great. Sounds good. Kirk, you It's our I. job to keep us on the rails. You don't have to worry about that, Corinna. We, and we don't keep <laughs> us on the rails. So like, I think there's, there's no rules. There's no rules here. You or I first, Kirk? Uh, please, you, Bracken. Okay. I like this one. I think it's it's an intelligent question. It's a next level question. In my opinion. Maybe you're gonna be like this is child's play. On big runs or races, should I count carbs or calories per hour? Yeah, that's actually that is I, I, that is a good question. Yeah. Um so <clears throat> obviously it's important to realize like when you are counting macros, when you're counting carbs, when you're counting fat, when you're counting grams of protein, like that is, you are inadvertently counting calories in doing so, right? So one gram of carbs is four calories. One gram of protein is four calories. One gram of fat is nine calories. So really, and I'm sure the person asking this knows that, but I just wanted to put that out there um, for maybe individuals who don't know that. Um, but, you know, essentially what we're trying to do in running and we're, when we're fueling during running is mostly focus on carbohydrate. So I think, you know, to answer the question, I would focus primarily on carbohydrate. Now, if you're doing an like ultra running and you are taking in a, a little bit of, which was another question, but like some, maybe some protein, maybe some fat, so, more solid foods are going to give you a, a, a very nutrient pro- profile then it makes more sense, in my opinion, to shift more towards calories, right? Because if you're just looking at, you know, if if you're getting mixed reviews, uh, or sorry, if you're getting mixed nutrient profiles, then it's hard to account for, you know, you obviously want to be mindful of total calories as well. So for simple, for like anything less than I would say, um, you know, two and a half, three hours, I feel like things over three hours, maybe individuals start to consume more solid food choices mixed into their Intra workout fuel, anything less than that, I would probably just stick with carbs. That's going to be easiest anyway. Um, but you're not in the wrong for counting calories, thought- you know, because sometimes people just think, oh, calories per hour is way easier. And but similarly, you could just look at the carb breakdown and carbs. So it's, it's, it really doesn't, like, it's not going to lead to a strike. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, it's all good. Uh, we're a little bit of a delay too. So we'll keep talking over each other. It seems to be happening on our server when there's three of us. But um, so that was my question is like, so really like at some point, other macros probably will benefit you to be introduced. But really, if we're looking at two or three hours or less, like if we're straight, just rocket fuel coming in, in carbohydrate form, we're good. Is there, is there a downside? Like, let's say you have a 50 K and you're a six hour 50 K or are you leaving something on the table by not, by avoiding the other macronutrients? Like some people just straight up do tailwind or I'm going to do goose for six hours straight, which is straight carbs. Do you yeah. think you're leaving something by not like having a little fat and protein? Um, it, I mean, so this is, is a really good question. And obviously the longer duration that you're working with, it's also 
you know, your intensity is going to be much lower. And what, what do we know about lower intensity exercise is that we can split the fuel source between our bodies. You know, we're, we're pulling from energy systems that utilize both carb, carbohydrate and fat. So I would say protein is probably one of those things where you really never like, you know, maybe if we're talking about like double digit timeframes, you know, that might be something to add in bits and pieces of, but the reality is protein really ends up causing a lot of GI distress and it's not going to, you know, you are doing an event. It's usually to finish that event and to, you're, you're really just trying to, um, replenish those carbohydrate stores that you are zapping through. Like at a, you know, if you're running for hours on end, it's going to be really hard to make up the loss just through exogenous you know, carbohydrate stores, which is why it's important to carb load beforehand. And we'll talk more about that too. Um, but those carbohydrates are going to be first and foremost, you know, especially in any race setting where there's some intensity and you're pushing hard, like that's going to be calling primarily upon carbohydrates. So this is something you'll have to practice too. Like if you're, if you, um, you know, if you're doing these longer runs, you're probably in training or you better be in training you know, practicing those um, fueling strategies too. And so you'd probably be practicing, you probably should know at what duration are you going to be tired of eating gels and goos and chews and getting all that sweet stuff and like switching over to having some savory options or having some whole food sources mixed in with your, you know, liquid carbohydrates. So really like that's a strategy you want to be practicing weeks and months before your event so you know what your body kind of, at what point does your body kind of reject um, gels and goos and, and what you can tolerate. Um, like some people can just do that long-term. Some people can't. And in that way, like, you know, adding some fat, most of your like whole food sources are going to have a little bit of fat worked in there. And that's, that's fine. And your body's probably used to that. Um, and you know, you can tolerate those things. I like this question because if you look on the back of almost any gel, or chew or anything like that. The big bolded info up at the top, usually on the top right or top left, is cals. Hundred cals, ninety cals, hundred ten cals. Those are the popular numbers you see. And so it's really easy. It's what I did early on, prepping for Killington that first year. I chose the one with the biggest number I could see because if I have to take in two ounces of gunk anyway, I might as well get the most bang for my buck. But then you look on the back, and they all might have twenty-two grams of carbs or 26. Mm -hmm. And then it's what's the filler coming from that might not even work well with my gut. So I do like the fact that they're trying to think, what are my carb needs per hour rather than just my calorie needs? Because people out yeah. here, you can do three to 330, 350, maybe 400. You can ingest that many calories per hour and clear it. But the source matters more than how much you can clear really. Exactly. And that's a great point, Bracken, because if you're thinking, oh, like what, you know, what, what should I eat for, you know, what, what, what solid food options could I take with me on this run? And you're just focused on calories. You might pull like, uh, you know, a Twinkie from the, I don't know, I know they don't make those anymore. So that's a terrible um, example, but like, I don't know, like, you let's know. say like an oatmeal cream pie. It's like, oh, that could be a really great. And just off the top of my head, I don't know the the breakdown of that, but let's just say there were, you know, 10, 11 grams of fat in an oatmeal cream pie, even though it's a really high carb, there might be a decent amount of fat in there. And if you're only looking at calories and you're like, oh, great, this is, this is 300 calories. Like this would be a great snack. If you don't recognize that what, where those calories are coming from, if those are, you know, mostly fat versus carbohydrate or, you know, protein, like that's just us getting, building a greater awareness around like what, 
is making up those calories and is mm -hmm. that helpful for what I'm trying to accomplish right now. So yeah, I like that point a lot. I got uh, stuck on the Twinkie thing, so I Googled it real quick. Um, yeah, what is the breakdown? Hostess liquidated, cl closing its U.S. plants, laying off uh, its more than 18,000 employees and ceasing production of Twinkies. That is in Jul July 7th of 2023, hot off the press. So wow, I you thought you were bullshitting us. But yeah, but did you give us the future breakdown or did you just tell us the, the story? Oh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, no, I was just purely curious about how something that's been around forever uh, is no longer in production. Sorry. No relevant info other than. Okay. We don't have the, the, the Twinkies. But I, I would imagine there's a decent amount of fat in there. I mean, at least five grams, I would say. But maybe. All right, Kirk, I know it's your turn, but I'm going to follow <clears> up. <throat> Kerna, you did touch upon it, but should you be taking protein during long races and why? Okay. So this is. So this is where I have a couple of things to say on this. I would say really that protein is going to be, so we all know muscle, we break down muscle tissue during exercise and activity, right? Usually we're not exercising long enough to break that down, to need any supplemental protein during that time frame. Now, branch chain amino acids are three of the primary amino acids that are um, located primarily in our muscle tissue and that are broken down the most often. So that's um, valine, isoleucine, and leucine. So those are like, so when it comes to muscle, um, when it comes to putting off some of that or, or resisting some of that breakdown, those are the three amino acids that we kind of want to focus on, which is why BCAA supplementation, BCAAs, branched chain amino acids, those are really highly focused on in and around workout time. And you'll see people drinking BCAAs before or during a workout, and it's to offset some of that muscle breakdown. Now, is it necessary? Really, it's not if you have a protein source of food in your, or food source of protein in the meal before a workout. If you're just waking up, first thing in the morning and working out a beast and, and not eating anything and not having any protein. Sure. A BCAA supplement could be helpful for to, you know, to resist some of that breakdown. Um, but what we talk about and what I think is really important for most athletes to think about is fueling, having some sort of meal or at least a snack before your workout. And this is where like, you know, having, protein first thing in the morning before workout in addition to carbohydrates can be helpful because now you're getting instead of just those three branch chain amino acids now you're getting a complete source of protein which you know is going to be helpful toward meeting your overall daily protein goal right you can't make muscle you can't you can't make protein out of just three amino acids you need to have the entire set of amino acids to build muscle mass. And so those three branch chain amino acids, again, you're kind of offsetting the loss that you'll get experience sometimes during prolonged exercise, but um, you need, you still need all the other amino acids, which you're only going to get through, you know, whole food sources or um, a complete protein source. So I would say just to answer the question, I would say if you're getting, and I would probably recommend anywhere from 15 to 25 grams of protein in a meal before, even on race morning, right? That's why race morning carbohydrates are most important by far. That is your fuel source. You're going to need that fuel source and it's going to top off some of those, your muscle glycogen stores. And that's what your body's utilizing. We can deal with kind of some of that muscle breakdown, um, 
later afterwards in that recovery portion. And we can increase protein consumption after the race. We can increase, you know, increase daily protein consumption in the days following a race to kind of offset some of what you lost during the race. But as far as focusing on fueling on with protein during, not, not a, not necessarily a recommendation. And at, at, at best, maybe drinking some BCAAs during a long event could be helpful. But again, I would I would practice that. And I certainly wouldn't prioritize that over just hydration in general and getting enough sodium and electrolytes. When would that advice change? We just watched UTMB this past weekend. Almost okay. no one's finishing under 24 hours. Some people yeah. do. You're talking 30, 40 hours. At what point is the duration of your competition long enough that the damage you sustain and break down muscularly is worth addressing in the moment? Because a lot of the advice is start taking in protein. It's going to help your recovery in the week after. Sure, that makes sense. If all out performance isn't your issue, you don't have to worry about your gut. However, at what point is the the activity so intense and long that you actually can benefit in competition from protein. Well, I think that's the thing is like what you said, it's so intense and long. And it's like the longer it is, the less intense, like it's intense because it is so it's sustained for a period of time. You have to be in it for that period of time. But if you're going 24 plus hours, I mean, even just think about in our, like doing a, like the Spartan um, world championships, ultra, ultra <clears throat> world championships or world's toughest mutter. It's like you are eating whole food sources throughout that time. And there's always, you know, there's usually a, a bits of protein that accumulate in eating whole food sources, right? So it's not much, but I do think if you're going to be out on a course for 24 plus hours, you're going to be eating over, you might have pizza, right? You might have um, ramen noodles, you might have SpaghettiOs, you know, it's like all of these food sources are going to have, like, again, protein, we can't afford, I think it really depends too, Bracken, because like, if your stomach, like with a 24 hour race, if you're, we know how many people like, just your, your gut and your stomach ends up being the limiting factor in carrying on oftentimes because of that. So it's like, if you're limited with what you can get down, we need to prioritize the fuel source, the primary mm -hmm. fuel source first and foremost. Um, and again, muscle repair and recovery, like just really is truly secondary or tertiary compared to like hydration, carbohydrate intake. So I don't know that I have like a necessarily a direct answer for you there, but I do think if you're doing multi-day or toward that range, you're going to be consuming foods that, you know, you can get little bits and bits and pieces. You're going to be consuming a so many calories per hour, probably just to like sustain that. And your sources are going to be whole food focused that are, you're going to get enough protein. And this is where we think about like, um, you know, we tend to think we need like higher amounts, you know, as athletes, we, we need higher amounts of pro daily protein intake than, you know, your sedentary counterparts. But it's also like that 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight, which is such a low amount, but that's what like the general guidelines recommend for just your average American. We all know like that's, that's just to be kind of at net zero with um, um, amino acid breakdown and, and uptake. Right. And so that's a fairly low amount. And I would imagine that the amount of calories you're consuming in a long race would at least reach that 0.8 grams per kilogram mm. body weight. Um, so if you think about it like that, like that's probably what would, like for me, I don't know, that would be probably 0.8 times. It's just been 60. Yeah. That would be like 48 grams of protein. <laughs> okay. I think I, I'm probably doing that over the course of eating for 24 hours of just solid foods in general. 
not saying that that's enough, but I'm saying like that's like that's at a very basic, you know, a very very low end range of what my body could really utilize and, and mm-hmm. recover. Like that was probably the okay. Well, simply using the term tertiary correctly makes me believe that whatever you said there is going to be good advice. <laughs> Thanks, Bracker. Yeah, rehearse that one. Yeah, yeah. Add that to the list. That's a good one to keep around. <laughs> What I'm gathering is basically if the question is directly like, will having protein intra race help my performance? The answer is no. Can we just leave it at that? Is that what we're saying? Will it improve my immediate performance? Right. Um, And and therefore Kirk, Okay. beforehand, like immediately before workout, like if you eat one thing, it shouldn't be a protein shake before workout. That is, I I see that all the time. I really, how many people do that? Oh my God. Oh, oh, slap people are- around. Everybody's walking through the gym at their protein shake. Bah, idiot. They're probably consuming. It's an accessory. It is a look as much as it is anything else. I've got my shaker <laughs> and a gallon of water, and you know I'm here to work out. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy at the gym I went um, to right. immediately after college who showed up after work doing that, and he would change his top, his bottom, and he would leave his work boots on just as his, like, I'm a man outside of the gym and in the gym. And he just let everyone know with his gallon of water and his shaker and his work boots, steel toe boots, throwing around plates. I love it. Cut off hooded sweatshirt or no? Probably. I don't know if you're allowed to wear anything else. If not, a crew neck that you kind of stretch and rip a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have a cut off sweatshirt, like hooded, you know, but I, I I mean... I feel like I kind of, I kind of want one. I don't know. I have several, <laughs> and I've got to tell you, they're the truth. Like a crop top one, though. <laughs> Slightly, just like a little crop. I don't like. Yeah, crop. just just a little little peak. <laughs> All right, sorry, Kirk. You were saying. I'm going to move this conversation along, children. Uh, Whitley, Whitley, Jeremy. Uh, Bracken, you don't like to say the people's names who ask the questions, and like if I were listening, I'd want to hear my name. So I'm just saying. Whitley and Jeremy, I always Jeremy assume says. they might not want to. No, they want it. They want. They want to hear their name, just like Jeremy Whitley wants to hear his name. Jeremy Whitley. Jeremy Whitley. Jeremy Whitley. How's that? All right. Somebody I'm curious as to your answer here, Corinna. I did. Yes. Okay. Uh, Jeremy asks: Beer as fuel. Is there a tipping or tipsy point? Question mark. Well played, Jeremy. What do you think? Where is the when is there a benefit? Could you say a beer with my pizza the night before a race would just be added fuel, or is it like it's still a net negative because of its effects? What do you think? Yeah, I think the effects, especially before a race, like you know, especially the night before, we already know that sleep is impacted just from nerves in general, but the alcohol is not going to help with that. So yeah, I don't think it's a fair. I mean, I I get the thought process because it's like, oh, beer has carbs, right, from wheat, but it's not going to be the 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 carbohydrates um, capacity of or not the carbohydrate content of, of beers just of beer is not going to um, offset the, the the downsides of just alcohol in your system before before an event because like you might feel like you're well, gonna, or you might feel like you'll sleep better like I think some people think oh like, I just passed out really hardcore but it's it's not a deep REM sleep it's not. You know, it's not quality sleep and you won't wake up feeling 
more rested. What about um, alcohol as fuel? Like, forget about the carbohydrates because obviously alcohol is seven grams. Not obviously, I shouldn't say like everybody knows. Seven <laughs> grams or seven calories per gram is alcohol. So it's a dense form of fuel, alcohol itself, aside from carbohydrate, right? So how does our body metabolize? I don't know the answer to this. Metabolize alcohol in a performance or an output from that standpoint, right? Like, is it a fuel we can use with high intense exercise or is it not? Do you know? know That, I mean, so we know, you know, when you, after a night of drinking, if you go work out the next morning, like you smell of alcohol, you reek of alcohol, your body is, you know, that is poison to your body. And it wants, it's like, get rid of me first before anything else. Right. So yeah, we're going to be utilizing those calories and you're right. Like one gram of alcohol is seven calories. Um, so there is that fact, um, as far as so I would and, and I think it's metabolized fairly similarly to well, I think you can kind of think of it as like a, a quick calorie burn in terms of like, you know, your body's going to want want to burn that very quickly in a similar way as carbohydrate, you know, a simple carbohydrate. Now, the the issue and one of one of the things I'll point out just I think is an interesting effect with alcohol is that because your body wants to needs to get rid of the alcohol first and foremost if what tends to happen is when we drink we eat more right like that and that's just that's fairly common and this is what one thing that i wanted to make note of which is with alcohol intake you know there are negative effects of just the alcohol itself however with the alcohol consumption usually comes a host of other things that can also negatively impact you know athletic performance not necessarily in this night before race kind of format although you know, that's certainly the case too. But, you know, if you think about it, if let's just say you have a pretty, let's say you went go out for pizza or burgers or hot dogs or whatever, and you have your beer, it's like, instead of your body utilizing the calories from your meal, first and foremost, and starting to burn that off. Yeah, your body's, you know, first and foremost, wanting to focus on the alcohol, the calories from alcohol to burn that. And so, and then if you add more more calories on top of that from food, it's like that all that stuff's getting saved and essentially stored as fat because you're not utilizing it. And it's usually high in fat content anyway. And then your body needs to, you know, and you're probably going to bed or not being very active during that time frame. And then the next morning, you know, you've got all these extra calories in you, you've got all this food in you, but your body first and foremost needs to burn through the calories from alcohol. So it's, it ends up just like that on repeat. You can see how that can kind of end up putting you in a challenging position health wise. But, you know, as far, but, but yeah, to answer your question though, Kirk, about like, is alcohol, you know, like, like, is that going to fuel high intensity? I would imagine that the negative effects of, you know, if we're talking about an amount that's really going to contribute to you know, a fair amount of alcoholic calories to you that you're going to be utilizing next morning. Uh, I would imagine that the counter effects of just the alcohol itself would probably offset any advantage to like a quick fuel source. Um, I had to guess, but that's not an area that like, you know, I I can speak to with like great certainty. Um, Kirk, so that, that maybe, maybe I'll follow up with you on, on a alcohol podcast episode with nutrition. Well, (laughs) well, And we can move on after this, but it's like I have had some of the absolute worst runs of my life after a night of drinking without question. But if let's say in my cache of memorable, wonderful workouts, I have 10, 10 of my best workouts of all time. 
Three of those are completely hungover after a big day of not taking care of myself and having 10 to more drinks. And then I get up, put my shoes on and it's there. It's like, what on earth? But I've also had if my top 10 of worst runs, it's probably eight of them involve alcohol, right? So like, I, I don't know. It's like Russian roulette, at least in my experience, it has been. Um, I don't well, know why that would be though. So who knows? There's a lot of other factors. There are a lot of other factors. And I think it's worth, like, again, we kind of had a conversation about this last call too, Kirk, where it's like, you know, you, you feeling like you had one of your worst days might actually mean it might actually be a big day of eating and you got enough carbohydrates in. Cause I know like it set, sound, you know, you tend to under fuel if anything, it seems like. And so, cause I've, I've had similar, I've had some similar instances in the past, but when I look at what I ate and it was like, Oh wow, I actually just ate enough that day. Like I ate enough <laughs> calories and I ate enough mm. carbohydrates. Like, sure. you know, they were a lot of carbohydrate dense and you know, there's obviously something to be said for that. So I think it's important to like take, yeah, all those factors into account. It's like, well, what could it have been the alcohol or could it have been just eating, like eating in a, a house, like, like meeting my energy needs and or maybe a little bit more. Do you hear about right. it in ultras? Someone's like, all right, I swear by an IPA at mile 20 or they take their shot of fireball there in a 50 mile or whatever it is. You rarely hear it from people who are competing. It's usually people who are completing. And if you're competing any body process that you don't need gets shut down. And if you have to engage your liver or your kidneys and you have to engage other things in order to counteract alcohol, it's going to take away from your performance. So do some people swear by it? Yeah. But would they all be better without it? Probably. I like that. Of course you feel better. Your nervous system gets dampened and the suffering perception goes down and they're like, I'm doing great, but you're still actually moving slower than you were before. You just for five minutes feel slightly numb to the effort. It's like, well, great. Next question. Me? Yeah. I only ask one at a time, Bracken. I'm not selfish. Listen, I don't play by your rules, Kirk. This is anarchy. Okay. Can you make progress? while training, while fasting, 20 hours every day, or at least five out of seven days. So if you're doing a 20-hour fast, more often than not, if not all the time, can you make progress in training? Yeah, I saw that one earlier. And I was just thinking, I mean, I mean, really, is progress in training is going to come down. When we are efficiently and effectively fueled, we can, we can therefore, you know, improve performance. Like performance increases and calorie deficits just together at the same time are often not going to go hand in hand. Um, so that would be contingent on this individual hitting all of their energy needs in a four hour window, you know, five days out of the week. And I just, I don't see that being, I don't see that being possible. Um, realistically now you know that's not to say you know you know obviously there's going to be maybe caveats to that but i would first like you know for this individual i know uh, bracken you and i talked about ramadan and like you know fasting for a month you know and you know the the, the, the complications with that but ways and strategies to work around that i think depending on you know in i can't imagine too many cases where that would be like something you'd have to do um, it might be like a work shift, you know, or whatnot. It's just like, oh, it's just easier not to pack any food and then like go home and have five hours, you know, or four hours. You know, I'm, I'm just trying mm-hmm. to think of like, you know, scenarios where someone might really actually be forced to do this. Um, 
and maybe Ramadan would end up maybe, you know, a five hour window of time. Like, you know, maybe, maybe that would be It's usually a choice. It's usually a choice. So I would not recommend it if someone, that would probably be one of the last things I would ever, ever recommend for anyone who's looking to improve performance. So really thinking about performance as like, we need to fuel enough. We need to also, you know, where would he be working out in that time frame, right? Because it's like, you know, working out fasted is not going to be, you know, in a long fast, um, let alone even a short one, like, you know, that, that, that can have performance impact. So yeah, I just don't see the practicality of it. From time to time, we say things that ruffle feathers and I usually preface it by saying, I'm going to anger some people with this, but I'm going to make a statement that's going to anger some people, but I think is a very defensible statement to make. And that is the biggest proponents of the big fasting lifestyles are anecdotal. They rarely stem from the scientific community. And if they do, it stems from a study based off of a medical issue that is being treated via fasting. Mm -hmm. And so all the documentaries you watch, one person did something, it changed them, and they told everyone else you should do it. You rarely hear scientists or dietitians come out and be like, this is what's best practice. It usually works for a lifestyle or a person or short term. So we see examples of endurance athletes all the time who win gold medals at the Olympics, highly anorexic or bulimic. You can get better in a calorie deficit, but it's always at what cost and for how long. So can you fast and get better? Yeah, you might even feel better for a little bit, but how long can you sustain it for? And since almost none of us are professional athletes, sustainability should almost always be our North Star. Sure. And I should have prefaced that too, Greg, was like, you know, yes, the, like I'm thinking when I say you can't, like performance and being a calorie deficit often don't go hand in hand. That's that's a long, like, you know, big picture, long-term approach, you know, yeah. and it's like you said, it's sure you can have those improvements, but for how long? And it's usually very, you know, quite a short period of time, especially if you're you know, pushing yourself. Quite and then you're, you spend decades dealing with the ramifications of the eating disorder or the underfueling and the actual changes you cause your body to go through that oftentimes can't really be undone unless it does take years or decades. So, so it's right. almost yeah. always anecdotal. Well, and you think about like, and you think about even just in our sport, think about like the, the best athletes, the best racers who are, you know, we often experience, you know, you often see like I, th- I think a lot of people come to me and is like, I want to lean out. It's like, I want to lose body fat and I want to, I want to achieve like peak performance. And it's like, I think a lot of people think that that all those things go hand in hand because you think about the best athletes, you know, in their peak shape or in their peak performance, they are probably at their leanest. I think all of us can probably attest to that personally. And we're, we are performing at our best but it's a very short period of time. If that's a short window, we know we can't sustain that for very long or else we've got the injuries that come up or, um, or we start feeling like, you know, we start feeling like we end up getting run down. So you, you're on that peak, 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 and then we can't stay there very long and you end up, you know, falling down that mountain. And so I think it's really important to acknowledge that. And I think that's where I think a lot of people are, um, what's, what's the word I want? I'm looking for. Like, most people don't realize just how, um, unrealistic that is for a long, long period of time. So it's important to point out. Yeah. I think, uh, intermittent fasting, um, holds a positive place for two people, two types of people. One is those who have completely lost touch with their hunger cues and they need a reset. 
you want to reset, like don't eat until lunch, for example. Let's get back in touch with what hunger feels like, and then we eat when we are hungry because some people are just all over the map. I just eat. I eat all the time. I don't know. I eat when I'm bored. I eat when I'm happy. I eat when I'm sad. I eat just because I eat. So I found it beneficial for people who like need to get back in touch with that. They typically make good choices their first meal instead of a sugary, garbagey breakfast. They crave real, dense foods. So it can reset on the sugar front. And then those who have compromised GI tracts for one reason or another, where they actually benefit from giving it a freaking break, right? Mm -hmm. Big GI disturbances. But from a performance standpoint, I completely agree with you. Are you saying – those are just my opinions, by the way. Those aren't facts. That's just my opinion. Um, are you saying basically like if you look at the umbrella, the big picture though, like overall, if you can get it all in during the day, that's – priority number one, whether it's in a four hour window or a 24 hour window of eating, like you still would say like priority number one, like it doesn't matter when, as long as it gets in the system or do you, are you not saying that? I mean, yeah, I think for most athletes, you know, if you are performance focused, I would say that like, I would say a number one priority is meeting their needs. Now we do talk about timing a lot because you know, you're the, the reality is our bodies do respond differently to food the same types of food in depending on what time of day we eat, we eat it. So like eating something at noon versus the same meal in the middle of the night at 12 AM, like that's going to have a very different response, you know, um, on our blood mm -hmm. sugar and insulin response. And so like, we have to wreck. So, so whenever I'm working with an individual who's has like is a night shift worker or is up throughout all throughout, you know, the hours of the day, it's, I really try to prioritize eating enough, but within kind of not necessarily daytime windows, but we try to avoid that dead of the night, those dead of the night hours. So, you know, from really looking, I mean, 11 o'clock to 4 a.m. or so, or at least like 11, to, you know, 10 to 3 or 11 to 4, like that's kind of those hours where I try to not play, you know, like you said, Kirk, giving your body a break. Um, and having, you know, a period of time where there's it's not getting inundated with, um, with food is important. And I think if we can help it, you know, we can probably meet our energy needs without eating, you know, in opposition to how we were created as, you know, diurnal creatures. So we're not nocturnal, we're not meant to process food in the middle of the night. Um, and so trying to adhere to that as much as possible is important. Go ahead and say you're impressed with the word diurnal, Brack, and I know you're waiting for it. <laughs> you can see it on your face. <laughs> what about capuscus? Do you know what you that means? Muted. I think you're muted, Bragan. Kirk, oh, it's great muted. that you he's said muted. that because I said it's not as fun as crepuscular. <laughs> and you said. Oh, you did? Yeah, that was what I said. I was you doing. know what crepuscular? Yeah. yeah. Active around well, the dusk and oh, dawn right. hours, Kirk. You know, I, I only know diarrhea. I know that as a deer hunter. Yes. <laughs> I did my um I did my graduate one of my graduate seminars on um circadian misalignment with food mm. intake and so diurnal was was part of I didn't know it was opposite of nocturnal you're nocturnal and diurnal so I did a lot of research in that realm. Crepuscular is the fringes. Well, you said that word in Brack. I always look at Bracken's eyebrows because that's the only thing he really has as a feature on his face. Can't hide them. And when his eyebrows when his eyebrows move, I know he's impressed. And his eyebrows moved a little bit. This is bad. Once now, you see his eyebrows like... and you only notice it's his eyebrows, you cannot see the eyebrows once you realize they're your cue. They're going to treat it like an, a meter now. They're going to be trying to say things to see if they get a little. Mm. Get the, the higher eyebrow is. I love it. That's funny. 
Proceed, um, Kirk. I'm going to ask a uh, – okay. This is actually a – I. this is my own question that uh, you said the word blood sugar and then it uh, got my brain going. And I've been following a guy – I think he's a great follow, Syat Fitness on Instagram, and he was disproving the fact that you can still lose weight if you have spikes in your blood sugar. There's a lot of like no blood sugar spiking warriors out there that think it's important for the layperson to lose weight by not allowing that to happen, which I think is bullshit. However, um, it leading to the question, like you saw a phase of like uh, blood sugar monitors during races and people looking at their blood sugar during efforts. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the importance of that and like what does our blood sugar do throughout let's say a three-hour race like what are we looking at there i i don't have an answer yeah. to that and i'm curious what your take is no and that's it is a newer area where you see a lot of athletes wearing these blood sugar blood glucose monitors and i and i just I, we don't have enough data to really know like it is interesting to take into account what happens to your blood sugar throughout you know throughout exercise because it certainly does change and of course you know it might drop and then, you know, or, you know, you, when you take in gels or goos or just any intra-workout nutrition, you know, what, being able to see the change in your blood glucose reading, you know, could be interesting. But I don't know that we have enough information uh, and comparison of like what it should be doing at this point to really be able to mm. use that information um, in, a, in a way that's helpful for athletes. So I don't necessarily, like it, it might just be interesting and it might, you know, I, you know, it, it might just be something where you note your own patterns and, but, but I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think blood sugar, you know, your blood sugar response is indicative of your ability to lose weight or, um, you know, has that big of a role. Of course, we want to make sure, you know, if, if we understand that certain foods we spike our blood sugar and when we eat like mixed meals for example so there's protein and carbs and fats in a meal we can have a much stable blood glucose response you know that's obviously um you know the insulin response and, and blood glucose spike like those can be separate or independent of like how our energy levels feel throughout the day right so you get a big glucose hit right in in, in running that's what we want, right? We want to feel that immediately and we want to be like, oh yeah, okay, like back in action, okay. But in the middle of your day, when you're sitting at your desk doing work and you eat something that's going to spike your blood sugar levels um, and all of a sudden you get this big hit of energy and maybe you get feel hyper and like, you want to do a million different things and then all of a sudden you have this big crash after, like you're, like, that's not going to be ideal versus having something, you know, eating food throughout the day that's going to keep your blood sugar levels more stable which allows you to kind of have more stable energy levels. And of course we know with that, the foods that have more of a stable blood sugar response also feel, we feel fuller for longer, right? We feel more satisfied. We're not riding this high and low of like, we're super we're satisfied. And then we're really hungry when that blood sugar, those blood sugar levels drop. So I think it has a role, but I agree with you, Kirk, that it's not, it, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't play as much of a role in, like your ability to lose weight, like you could eat a very high sugar diet. And as long as you're, you know, if you're counting for calories, you know, yes, you can absolutely lose weight with that, um, which I don't think a lot of people understand. I think sugars often demonized in the wrong populations. Like our, our population of athletes, like need to recognize when it's appropriate to implement 
some sugar, simpler carbs that and foods that do spike our blood sugar at times and real, recognizing when that's important and when the other times of our day, it's probably something you want to avoid or reduce. I find it very fascinating when new gadgets come out to give people data they didn't have access to before. Because there's two types of data streams that you receive generally as athletes. They're the type that you need, you found a need for that data stream and you created a device to give it to you. The second is a device is created that gives you a new data stream and now you have it with no context. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel that this is working for most people. Like a GPS watch was created because we had a need for greater accuracy with distance and pace, and we could use it in real time. But along with that, we got cadence and vertical oscillation and ground contact time and different things like that. And people started playing around with metrics. They didn't fully understand what the ramification was. And like you said, Corinna, what should it look like? Mm-hmm. And so seeing, seeing spikes in blood sugar, like as humans, we love data and we love charts and graphs. And spikes look dangerous, but a lot of people treat a, uh, a blood um, sugar chart or gr- a graph like a blood lactate graph. But you can't overlay though. You don't you don't want to see huge spikes in valleys with blood lactate. But it's not the same with with blood sugar. You're going to see spikes, and that's okay. It's the extreme valleys people want to avoid. But you're exactly right. Finding out what should it look like matters every bit as much as what does it look like. And people using it to pair it with perceived effort and fatigue is a very important process for them rather just saying like, did you see this crazy spike? How do I flatten that? Well, maybe you don't want it flat. Maybe you do, but it's not as simple as heart rate or blood lactate. So this is one of those technologies like a a run, uh, a wattage sensor, a, a power meter for your feet. It's going to take several iterations before it pairs very nicely to athletics. And with the top, top, top triathletes using it, you can see that they've determined there is a benefit to it, but the everyman doesn't have that yet. Yeah. And when you have a team of people around you who are, who Mm -hmm. are analyzing all those and collecting all those markers, it's like, okay, now you don't have to be the one in charge of like trying to decipher everything. But when you, you know, most individuals, even, even some of the best athletes really could, could use a mastery of the basics first and foremost around nutrition. There's so much that we can improve on with our just general nutrition that we don't need to add this another complexity of now having blood glucose readings as we're going throughout the day and, and going throughout, like if you have a coach who's, who is very well versed in all those things and he, and, and he or she can like read those for you and help analyze that. Okay. Maybe that would be helpful, but I, you know, or, or maybe I could see a, a, you know, a validity of like having that and it not adding more chaos mm-hmm. to just the amount of things that we can, analyze and assess. But I, I agree. I just think sometimes there's just too much data and we end up not knowing what to do with it and worse off, you know, perhaps doing the wrong things or focusing on things that don't carry as much as a result. I experimented with it with caffeine. Is it better to drip, drip, drip or spike and come down, spike and come down? And anecdotally, which is always dangerous, the drip, drip, drip didn't do much for me. Mm-hmm. having it parceled out in my bottles so I was always staying kind of topped off wasn't as important as getting a kick at hour two, like, oh my goodness, I'm alive again. Yeah. No, even though my my internal metrics would have said something different that I was more stable throughout, you can't put a price <laughs> on as you're fading, getting a shot of 150 milligrams of caffeine. That 
that right there changes your mindset, which is every bit as important as staying stable from your, your biological level. So anyways, it's, I'm not decrying blood glucose monitors, but yeah. they're very much not a finished product for a, an endurance athlete yet. Unless you have a team. I agree. Yeah. My sole curiosity around uh, glucose, and this is my own question, so we shouldn't probably spend any more time on it, but is, is there a direct correlation between blood glucose levels and how you feel and perform during a race? Like you said, you are sitting in the office and you have gummy bears and then you get a sugar high and you're freaking nuts and then you crash. Well, does that same thing happen at minute 45 in a race where like, could we objectively look at our blood glucose slowly going down throughout a race and we feeling slowly but surely worse and worse? Or is there no correlation at all? Are we best to go into the race with a nice even blood sugar and keep it there? Like these are the things I need to know. So I am very curious about it. But well, I, in I, a don't, race I don't thing, have the answers for that. No, Kirk, that's, a, that's actually a great, a great um, question because now in this case, we are like in a race setting – when we're taking in carbohydrate, we're getting that spike in blood glucose, but we're also getting an influx of car actual carbohydrates and energy that our body can utilize. So it's like, so it's less about, you know, and, and when we're talking about a fuel source as opposed to a feeling, right? Like caffeine is a feeling. It's not a fuel source. The it's going to decrease the perception of effort. Um, but when it comes to carbohydrate ingestion, like that is now actually a fuel source for our body. And so in that way, I think a drip, drip, drip is going to be better than having these just like a long period of time mm -hmm. where you almost getting to that bonk. Now, now you're playing around with like, oh, we're, we're, we're getting toward that bonk. It's really hard to come back from that. So I always recommend, you know, like let's just take 60 grams of carbs per hour if that's the goal. I would not wait. I would not just let the hour, you know, go a hard hour, you're, you know, in a race and then just get 60 grams of carbs all at once at the top of the hour. Because you play around with that, you're playing around with now like 60 grams going to your gut all at once in a simple carbohydrate form is going to probably cause some GI distress. And again, like, you know, and, and so you might feel all of that sugar rush, but it's probably going to come with a lot of uh, adverse side effects. So I do recommend, you know, every you know, maybe 20 to 30 minutes, or if you choose, if you're like a chew person, I think like the honey stinger chews, I love those, but there's, you know, there's probably 12 to 15 of them and they come out to about 30, 35 grams of carbs per packet. And so if I'm relying on that, like I can't just have two, two, uh, two chews, like every 30 minutes, like I need to, I need to drip, drip, drip those throughout. Like if I'm trying to get to 60 grams of carbs, well, I might need a half a packet and I'm, or a whole pack it every half hour and I need to, you know, for, for myself, if I can pop one every couple of minutes, then sure by 30 minutes, I'll have consumed those, but I don't want to do it necessarily all at once for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Conversely to my caffeine experimentation, my race fueling for long stuff got infinitely better when I went to drinkable, pro, uh, drinkable carbs. As soon as I was taking a sip every two to three minutes, rather than chugging every 20 to 30 minutes. I became much more sustainable in my efforts. Yeah. And again, I think it's the valleys that matter. Agree. And I, and I think you just on that point, cause I don't know if we'll talk about this bracken, but like I'm a huge proponent of liquid carbohydrates as a fueling source. You know, a lot of people get caught up in like gels and chews and goos and, and all that's great, right? Like they're going to provide a very, like, you know, if it came to a packet of, of chews, which you do have to read the nutrition labels on that and realize like, okay, yeah, a whole packet of honey stinger chews is 33 grams. Whereas 
one gel, like it, even though it doesn't, you know, they're not as fun to consume and kind of just like, you know, most, I, can, I don't know many people who like the taste of gels, but it's like, you can just slurp it up and get, you know, 20, 25 grams of carbs right there. And you don't have to keep picking at your gels and mm -hmm. or your chews and eat them. Like, you know, there's, you have to take that into consideration, but also to Brackett's boy, like if you can be hydrating and getting electrolytes and getting carbohydrates in all at once, like, that's such an easy, like you can go out for a run, a hard run and just take a bottle with you that has some liquid carbs in it. Like how easy is that to still get, you know, maybe 30 to 40 grams of carbs, um, and hydrate and get your electrolytes in without having to worry about many other things. So, if that's not, you know, for some of our listeners, if that's, if they're mostly focused on how do I, you know, eating gels and goose throughout their runs, especially some of the shorter, more intense ones, like definitely look into the, the liquid carb options, like Tailwind, Scratch Labs, Heed, Hammer, like, you know, lots of, lot, there's, there's so many of them. Kirk loves to chew though. He's the only person I know that can chew and almost enjoy it, not be bothered by it at high intensity. That's a skill. Like a, like a chipmunk. I put it my. I like to storm in my cheeks, and then when the time's right, I just gulp one down. Maybe it just a chew in there, but I just sometimes I swallow those babies whole. But see, Kirk, are you doing like I don't know? Are you gonna be able to wonder. do that for twelve to fifteen? You know, if you let's say you have to get, let's say you're getting all of your, you know, let's say you need two two packets of honey stinger juice per hour to like, like that's gonna get old after a while, you know. Well, I ran my fifty k with like 5,500 feet of vert and four hours and three minutes. And all I did was eat chews and I loved it. Love it. <laughs> it was great. So I don't know. I made it four hours with a real, with 173 average heart rate for that long. And it worked. So I don't know. I can't even breathe. Maybe I'm an anomaly. At like aerobic I, I will, I will choke. Yeah. It's wild. It's <laughs> a skill, Kirk. Listen, I take, I, I have these USANA vitamins, right? And I have, there's a, pile of pills right and dry mouth i pop those babies in swallow them down don't even need a sip of water i can take like 12 at a time so like one little measly baby pathetic little chew like just down it's easy no chewing necessary you'd be super popular in certain circles you want to ask a question <laughs> okay good um do you want to ask Let's a question or should i go for it oh. it's all you mm -hmm. yep if only I swung that way. All right. For high-volume women, this comes from still Trail Honk Sophia. <laughs> Sophia Harnady, who I coached for a while. Hi, Sophia. Um, for high-volume women runners who also lift, what is the most important macro to hit? Yeah, that's a, good, this is a, that's a good question. I would say, you know, at the end of the day, carbohydrates, like all of that is work right? All of that is work. So you're going to need to eat enough carbohydrate. And it's also hard to, you know, protein needs stay fairly constant, you know, day to day for individuals. And I think if you've got a really good nutrition plan, you know, and, and you're not skipping meals, and you're eating consistently throughout the day, you can meet those protein needs. Um, it's the carbohydrates, especially if you're doing high volume running, like, just a lot of the athletes I see aren't eating enough carbohydrates to support one of those things, let alone both. So I would say, I would say obviously like getting a standard, you know, getting close to two grams per kilogram body weight of protein in, I think anywhere from like, you know, for my strength-based athletes, that's going to be like one, 1. 1.6 to two grams per kilogram body weight, which doesn't quite come out to one gram per pound of body weight, right? Like that's going to be a little bit shy of that. And I think that that's, 
important to note. Um, endurance athletes, you know, because they are, um, you know, they're, they're doing, they're spending less time building muscle mass in the gym that those, but they still are breaking down a lot of protein, um, have slightly lower recommendations, anywhere from 1.6 to 2 or 1.8 grams per kilogram body weight. So if you're combining it, I would probably say, you know, if a lot of our hybrid athletes, and I add myself kind of in that mix, um, you know, maybe around 1.8 grams per kilogram body weight or up to up to 2 grams per kilogram. But I think if you can hit, the, that's not anything absurd to hit throughout the day. So I really think the other avenue you know, the other area that just really needs to be focused on is carbohydrate. And especially when you're doing double sessions in a day, that becomes an even bigger priority, um, especially replenishing from session one and fueling up for session two. I don't know. Do you feel like I answered that? Okay, Kurt, you feel like that was not the yeah. <laughs> I think your answer is carbohydrate. I hate to say it, but you have like a, a, a caveat, which is as long as your protein needs are being met, but it's your answer yeah. is carbohydrate from what I'm gathering. I also noticed that you um, you say the full word carbohydrate every time. Is it taboo in the nutrition world to say carbs? No, it's actually short? it's funny that I say that. Um, maybe yeah, I'm use the full word. I don't know. I guess I say carbs. Maybe I need like the extra half second to think about what I'm going to say next, and so I end up just finishing the whole. Oh, that's <laughs> that clever. That's something I've been noticing. Yeah, clever. Very clever. My. No, I do. It is sorry to cut you off, bragging, but I do feel like um, like abbreviation. I've like stopped abbreviating carb, like CHO, because I feel like a lot of people, you know, in my notes or my client follow ups, and carbs. Sometimes people don't understand that carbs are carbohydrates, so I feel like it kind of makes sure my language resonates with everyone um, when it comes to nutrition. So I maybe that's maybe that's the actual reason. <laughs> Everyone has their phrases that bother them. Like you, you either talk about strides or striders, and the other one is distasteful to you. Mine is carbo loading. I don't like that either, Bracken. Carbo. Ugh. I have a visceral response to carbo or carbos. I think it. I think it sounds like someone is trying to sound too cool with that. Don't you feel like carbo loading? Like I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why. I just don't like it. Which leads me to my question. <laughs> I'm not going to read the person's name, Kirk, because I just made fun of them. Is carbo loading necessary? No, read it. Read it. Read it. Come on. Over Streetster. All right. Thank you for that. Is carbo loading necessary? So much conflicting info, even from sports dietitians. Is it necessary? There doesn't define a range of event you're preparing for. So the floor is yours. Which I do think is that. And we did talk about this last episode. Mm -hmm. So to interrupt, we did spend a good amount of time on this. So you can go back and listen, Jobo, or whatever it was. Okay. (laughs) We did. So I'll give the abbreviated version for sure. But, you know, yes, it depends on the duration. Carb loading, carbo loading, (laughs) just for breakfast, is not going to be necessary for events 90 minutes or less, or, you know, I should say really like under that 90 minute mark. Where we're starting to get into a need or a benefit from carb loading is going to be 90 plus minutes. And obviously, the longer the event, the more of a priority that is, and the longer out I would prioritize carb, carb loading. But where I think, again, I'll reiterate where people get this wrong is thinking that carb loading is just this massive gut bomb of carbs the night before an event, as opposed to thinking about 
having reaching a sufficient carbohydrate intake throughout the day or days leading up to the event, spacing that out um, and really topping off those glycogen stores that we're going to rely on during that event, because we do have a finite amount of carbohydrates that we can store at a given time. And that's the whole point of a taper week is we are reducing expenditure, keeping calories up, you know, to some degree, focusing on carbohydrates so that those carbohydrate stores can be um, maximized, topped off, ready to go for fueling your event. Yes, it works. I'm satisfied. Cool. Yeah. I'm satisfied I, on Bracken's behalf, who's muted himself. Oh, I I'm I knew it. I've got the church bells going in the background. I think it's important for people mm-hmm. to hone in on what you said. It's not dump a, a bucket of water on the fire to put it out. Like you, you, it's just not a, in the moment. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are masters of responding to all stimulus, and that includes ingestion. That's why they say don't get dehydrated. Like drink. 32 ounces of water at one time, like have your glasses of water throughout the day. It, it doesn't work as well. And you don't want to overwhelm any system right before a competition. You would rather gradually do it so they don't have to send all the extra workers to handle this, this big delivery you're sending. You just want it to be as gradual as possible while staying in the window. Don't overwhelm your body before the biggest event of your year. Yeah, that, that train, that cargo train is going to come in hot, right, Brad? It comes in real hot. <laughs> Tracks are greased. Oh. <laughs> um, next, next question. I have a personal curiosity uh, towards because I, I love the feeling after a long run or a hard workout of that empty feeling in my stomach. Sometimes I like to just like get done with like I did a twelve mile with eight miles of tempo on Tuesday and I got done and I sat on my computer for almost two hours afterwards before I even got up to make lunch. I got down and I know it's going to drive you nuts. But such something a about me loves that feeling. Curse and I know I love, I like that empty. I, I like that empty feeling. I enjoy it. Um, and I mean that not in like any unhealthy way. I don't think I just like feeling depleted for certain things. So put, this is, this will set up my question and you can scold me if you'd like, Krenna. Um, and I don't have another quality session planned for like five, four days, right? Like just if I was doing something the next day, it'd be different. She, uh, Jesse, uh, Kerfand asks, Kerland asks, is eating directly after the run actually significantly better than waiting a few hours? What do you think? Scold me, slap right. me with the ruler. Well, you're, so I think this, this window, right? This time, this time window is a little bit, is definitely blown out of proportion or has been blown. You always hear people say, you got to eat like 30 minutes after you work out. Is that true? No, it's not true. Now, are your, are you more sensitive? Are your cells more sensitive to glucose, you know, carbohydrate and protein uptake after working out? Yes. Does that diminish over time? Yes. Right. So if it, so it does help when you're, more sensitive to, you know, when your cells are more receptive to intaking glucose, especially when, look, you know, you've depleted your carbohydrate stores and your muscles, you've broken down muscle tissue. We want to replenish that. And when we consume food after a workout, the majority of that is going to replenish, you know, is going to those sites. So that's the benefit there. Now you'll still have that benefit even some hours after it does fade a bit um, over time. But I think the biggest issue with putting off fueling after a workout is not so much that this magical window 
is now closing um, at a rapid rate, rate because it's it's really not. But it's if you think about it, and how I like to put this is usually like let's let's say before that twelve mile te- mile tempo run, you had um, did you do it in the morning? Did you have breakfast? Mm-hmm. Tell me okay, <laughs> okay yeah. good. Oh, yeah. I had two two packets of oatmeal with maple syrup and a banana and a little bit of almond butter mixed in there. Okay, cool. So Kirk had breakfast before that. Now you probably had to wait about an hour before you you at least you know before you did your workout. Hour and a half, roughly. I think yeah. Hour and a half. So then you did twelve miles. So let's add that up. Well, how many how many hours is that? Did that essentially that that workout take you? Well, that one maybe like seventy minutes because I was moving pretty quick. Okay. It's called okay. seventy minutes. All right, we'll call it seventy minutes. So now we're close to two hours. Uh, two, sorry, three hours. Close to three hours, right? Since when you had your last meal to when you finished your workout now you're gonna wait a couple more hours to eat so it's like if you think about that and then you think in the context of how to meet not only your protein needs for the day which get challenging you know if you have less meals but your overall calorie intake and your carbohydrate intake that's going you are decreasing the amount of opportunities the time frame that you're awake in the day to meet those nutrition goals so i would say it's more so if you can still hit all your your goals and wait after a workout to eat, cool, right? Power to you if you want to sit in your misery of empty stomachness for a while, like you know, all it's right. It's not miserable. We still, <laughs> yeah, it's enjoyable. Your your yes, okay. Well, whatever you end up calling, it. like if you can do that and still meet your needs, and you don't have another training session within that twenty four hour period, all right, yeah, you're probably like it's probably not the worst thing. I would say 90% of people probably cannot do that. We're probably not going to be able to hit just knowing, um, you know, again, like let's say that was in the morning. Like, you know, I just, I just don't see that happening. I don't see you being able to, let's just say it this way. I see it. It's, it's a lot easier to meet those needs. If you follow up your workout sessions with something and whether it's, you know, a quick snack and then eating, you know, it might be a liquid beverage, right? It might just be, oh, you know what? I don't feel like eating anything, but I can get a shakedown or I can um, have a little bit of like a smoothie or um, like a banana and a protein shake. Cool. And then, you know, an hour, hour and a half later or so actually have a solid meal. Um, I'm a much bigger advocate of well, that. Because oftentimes, sorry, one, one last thing I'll say, Kirk, oftentimes, you're not hungry for a while, but then you get really hungry later in the day. I see a lot of my clients who have that same effect where it's like, so really pre and post workout when they really needed that fueling and recovery, they didn't eat very much. But then later in the day, all that hunger comes to them. And now they're eating a huge amount of food right before bed. And they're probably not getting the best you know, sleep and recovery on that front because they just backloaded their calories in the day massively. Um, yeah, that was the caveat I was going to add is I don't want anything after quality sessions in particular for a few hours. And so I like to feel hungry and then eat instead of force it when I'm like apathetic about it. Right. Like that doesn't appeal to me. I I like to eat when I'm hungry and then that's very satisfying when I'm not hungry and I eat like, that's not very satisfying. And I held out on this information on purpose. I sat down on my computer and my once or twice a week treat is a can of real Coca-Cola. So I sat down and had 140 grams of calories of pure sugar 
and sat on my computer and that was my reward. And maybe that's faulty as well, but I was working towards my overall caloric needs and I only do it once or twice a week. Bracken knows my habit there. So I you can take know, that for what it is too. I also know your garage. I was rooting around in your garage fridge a couple of weeks ago and you've got some power lift in there. I do have some power lift in there. It's expired. <gasps> Didn't stop me. <laughs> I have not gotten paid for that power lift contract and I'm salty. I did my part, never got paid, mm. upset. That's why it's sitting there. I'm yeah. No, I, I think to your point, that's Moving on. just to reiterate, and we talked about this in the last podcast as well, but it's like, you know, that's where, you know, that's a, it's a simple carb, right? Your Coca-Cola. And I don't like, again, if you were actually Bracken, this was more Bracken's point last, last call, but you know, if you're going to have something that's higher, you know, it's going to be a simpler cook sugar option or a simple carb option that's going to digest very quickly it would ideally be immediately prior or during or closely after a workout to really, you know, to really maximize, like, you know, you're going to take advantage of it being a quick, um, you know, with it offering a quick glucose response as opposed to at night or later, you know, a couple hours later when, you know, you or that insulin response is less sensitive post-workout. So like many right. hours. And it's only a reward. And I had, Two and a half cups of white rice and five eggs and two sausage links with it and a cup of broccoli. Like I was covering my bases, but I I do have tend to, as this person asked, go a while after uh, after my workout sometimes. But we can move on. You got something, or is it me? I think it's you. Okay, I was just lost staring at your Strava splits from that tempo. I had to look it up how quick you were moving. It was a nice, pretty what do you, little. What do you, what do you think? cut down. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Okay. Uh, the two supplement questions. I'm going to save the second one for second because you're probably sick of it at this point. But let's start with this. Best pre-race cocktail. Caffeine, beetroot extract, rhodiola, rosea, etc. Dose, time. You're going to hate my answer. I feel like the person's going to hate my answer because I'm going to say the best pre-race cocktail is the one that you've done, you've tried and tested and true that you do all the time in your, you know, most frequently in your training, you know, mm. it doesn't impact your stomach and it provides you with actual calories. So those rhodiola, ashwagandha, all these things like, you know, that's all fine and dandy. Maybe if like, that's again, if that's something that you've tested out, but you we, in caffeine included in this beetroot supplement, like, but that is not, providing you with calories food is going to provide you with calories so that needs to be a primary focus there's nothing that can replace that um those might give off the perception for a period of time but for most especially longer races you know anything that's i mean for any race truly i feel like you know the calories are the most important um it's good good answer I'm going to restate it. Assuming we are properly fueled, what are the biggest difference makers you can have as a pre-race cocktail? Mm. So if this is you where... respond to everything, if your gut can handle it, all things aside in a vacuum, what would you mix together for a pre-workout? So this is where I would go to looking at your most research-backed ergogenic aids, so your performance-enhancing supplements and beetroot, you know, nitric oxide is going to be one of those. Caffeine is very much one of those. Um, you know, beta alanine, that's, you know, 
if I'm going to read off the ones that are the most, you know, just ergogenic aids in general, it's going to be, you know, performance enhancing supplements that have incredible amounts of research behind them. There's different classifications for these, but in cl your class one is going to be caffeine. It's going to be creatine. There's going to be, I think, um, sodium bicarb, sodium bicarbonate, uh, beta alanine, uh, I'm missing, uh, missing maybe one. Sodium more. bicarbonate, like salt. What do you, what no, do you when you say sodium? Like, what do you mean? Well, exactly? sodium bicarb is basically baking soda, um, and you have to practice that one. Um, and again, Gnarly. Uh, this <laughs> it's is a lactic not, acid buffer. Yes, and so, but, but yeah, it definitely has some impacts on your stomach, and you have like you definitely want to test that one out. Um, and again, some of these are going to be more inclined toward strength training or like maybe CrossFit type intermittent um, output as opposed to sustained like endurance focus. So, but I would say for the endurance, but, but I will say that beetroot or nitric oxide is definitely in that just subclass where there's a lot of really good research um, behind it. But, but that, so I would, I would count that as a pretty well um, researched and tested supplements. So I would probably say for the endurance population, um, I'd probably go with caffeine and beetroot juice as, um, but like for me personally, like I don't drink caffeine, not for any reason. I just don't like, you know, I don't drink coffee. I don't like, I, I don't personally, I don't know that I really, I, there's responders to caffeine and non-responders. I don't feel like I necessarily respond to it. Um, and I've never just been reliant upon it for anything. So I, I personally like I'm not all of a sudden going to add that to my pre-race regimen. Um, but I would say for most individuals, like those two would be important. The, the, you know, those two could be quite beneficial in a endurance, pre-endurance event. I think it's important to note that with beetroot or anything that's going to do the same thing that it's intending to do, there is a loading process. So simply taking it before a competition isn't the most efficient or efficacious mm -hmm. manner of using it. And it's not necessarily the something you feel. You can note it in heart rate if you've loaded properly, but it's not a, there are performance enhancers you feel and those you don't. It would be in the, I don't feel it. Like mm -hmm. beta alanine, you're going to feel like crazy and it's hard yeah. to pinpoint exactly what it does for you other than like tingle like crazy. Yeah. And I can't speak personally to the sodium bicarb, but I would have met, I, I think that's, I'm not sure that there's a loading phase. For no, that. it's the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, an extreme lactate buffer and it's effective for like 60 to 90 seconds up to two minutes from the last time I researched it. And it's just like, you have to take it within X number of minutes of performance and then you're on the clock. The moment you start producing, it goes into hyperdrive and it, only can can buffer for so long and then you enter the shadow realm like it gets really bad i had a teammate use it for a 400 meter dash in college which i believe was illegal i don't think it was allowable at the time and he ran really well and was a mess afterwards he was in the bathroom for at least an hour uh it, it's it's like Unless your competition is Worth two it. minutes or less, there's almost no purpose to take it. And it is extremely volatile on your insides. Oh, and that's the same with creatine with the loading phase too. Like you're not just going to take creatine. And, you know, this is being, there's more and more, I think, in, more and more endurance athletes who are looking to include creatine in their um, 
in their re- supplemental regimen, which, you know, I personally think is, is, is great, but I do, you know, I think there, there are benefits beyond just, you know, that power output for that ATP PC system, energy system that we have. Um, but you definitely need a, it doesn't have to be a huge loading phase, but it, you know, you, you know, you can certainly do a larger dosage for a shorter period of time, or you can do kind of like five grams a day for, you know, five grams a day and just know that it's going to take a couple of weeks to, for you to kind of feel the impacts in your training. But yeah. Yeah. We just, um, talked about, uh, our thoughts on creatine use for endurance athletes on our last episode, but you didn't listen to that. I don't think yet, but I'll be, I'm not going to tell you what we said, but we spent what, 10 minutes on it, Bracken. We gave our opinions on it. Mm-hmm. Part yeah. two of this question. But this episode isn't about our opinions. <laughs> Even though we keep interjecting them. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that in, <laughs> right. I'll, I'll, be back, I'll go back and listen to your guys. I don't, I don't see it necessarily hurting though. Um, in our, in like more of an endurance population. Yep. Cliff notes, not a game changer in no use for it. If you don't want to gain some mass, but I, yeah. But do you feel, yeah, I, I do think the mass gain is, is, uh, depend, like definitely, you know, there's again, people respond differently mm-hmm. to, so I, I do think I was worried, like for me, I was worried that I would put on mass, like, you know, that was for the longest time I didn't want to like, um, that wasn't something I wanted to try or, and then I did and I was like, oh, I don't my body didn't even, I didn't even feel like there was a change from a, oh, wow. physical there's compelling evidence that it's useful, but if your goal is weight loss, it's not going to be your best friend. No, I agree. All right. So probably the, the question I assume you're sick of, and you've answered a ton, but what are the, if any, mandatory or necessary supplements that athletes need to be taking? Hmm. I, I mean, there are definitely supplements that as athletes, I see a lot, you know, that, that, that you that tend to be more deficient in certain areas, but I'm, I worry about answering this question, thinking mm-hmm. that people would respond like, okay, we got to go out and grab all these things. I'm, I'm not a believer in supplementing without like as a blanket supplement, like blanket supplementing without knowing, um, you know, without getting some blood work done and, knowing what, you know, or if you're deficient in something, because if you think you're, you know, most of the time, you know, just supplementing blindly can have pretty poor, um, you know, effects. And I think that there's certain, I mean, of course, like your vitamins, um, those you're just going to, you know, those are water soluble. You're just going to pee them out if you're, if they're in excess. So it's pretty low risk, but when it comes to certain minerals, um, and more your fat soluble vitamins, like those definitely can have upper intake levels that you want to be mindful of. And I think too, if you're just kind of blindly sub, you know, for the individuals who are just going to be blindly supplementing, you're probably going to be doing a lot of things blindly without really understanding what your um, nutrition intake looks like. So I always think start with the big things, start without supplementation, start focusing on like how you can get micronutrient dense, rich foods as part of your day-to-day intake in mm-hmm. in addition to meeting your macronutrient and calorie needs if you're eating if you're eating a variety of foods in different food groups and you know covering your macronutrient needs or even close to those amounts you're probably just fine with meeting your um micronutrient needs even as even as athletes 
Um, and then if you're not, or if you feel certain symptoms, like it would be worth getting, you know, maybe it's worth getting your iron levels checked or, you know, how I knew I was anemic when I was in high school. So I tried to give, donate blood and I wasn't able to do it. I wasn't eligible to do it because, um, you know, my ferritin wasn't high enough. And so it was like, um, all right, well, that was an easy, you know, inexpensive blood test right there. I just couldn't, couldn't give it. And then it was, and you know, that did follow up to the doctor, but like iron has been a game changer for me supplementing with that. And I do see a lot of my female athletes in, in, in endurance athletes in general, or in, in particular who are low or experience have side effects that show or point toward um, low iron. But I think it's really important. You can definitely overdose on, not overdose, I shouldn't say it, but you can definitely um, over supplement in iron and that can cause issues too, especially long-term. So I, I just think it's important to get blood work done. Like okay, that. we've entered the rapid fire section of our interview, Corinna. Okay. Rapid fire, because I know you have a call in 13 minutes, and we have way too many questions to get to. So. Wait, let me just double check. I do, because let me. Um, actually, it's okay if we well, go. If we go. But yeah, we can. Let's. We'll stick. We'll, we'll stick. <laughs> We're going to stick with the rep. Well, and I made plans because I thought our interview was ending. Okay. Uh, somebody has a bad SI joint right now, so I, I need some doctoring. So I have an appointment with a PT. So let's just do it. Okay, I'm going to give – let's do this, Bracken. We haven't talked about this. You're going to get one minute or less, and you got to get it all out, and we move to the next one, and we're going to blow through like five or eight of these. Okay? Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. First one. Wait, wait, I have to do John Murph, 10. I have to finish. I have to answer in thirty seconds or less. Is that or one minute? I'm giving you one each minute. question. Okay. I have a timer above your head, actually, on the screen, so I can. Um, all right, John Murphy ten says, "Is dairy bad for your running?" No, <laughs> dairy is dependent on. I would just say to, to elaborate on that. You know, there are people who are lactose mm -hmm. intolerant. There are people who are totally fine with dairy. I would be very. I, I wouldn't just blanket statement of like, oh, everyone's avoiding dairy that I know I should do the same. It's bad for you. Like it, can, it is. I'm a huge, huge dairy fan. And I, there's a lot of great nutrients in there, let alone it's an easy protein source. Good. Beautiful. How much is too much when it comes to electrolytes yeah. and sugar during a long race? Um, I mean, you definitely want it for electrolytes. You want to know, I mean, when we talk about electrolytes, most people are really referring to salt, sodium chloride. Those are going to be your, that, that is your biggest loss from an electrolyte standpoint when it comes to um, sw sweating and just athletic events in general. So really like that's the biggest one we really want to hone in on. And, you know, it's, it's a, a simple sweat test can help you determine what your, um, sodium needs are, but you can also just observe, you know, your, your clothing and, and your skin after a heavy session and determine if you're like, you know, you probably know if you're a pretty salty sweater or not. Um, and so I think it's important to, we can certainly over salt or over electrolyte and we can, you know, we under elect, you know, under serving electrolyte needs are also, you know, there's a downfall to that. As far as sugar intake, we did talk about, uh, we talked a little bit about it's been this. one but... minute. Okay. What do All I do? Continue. <laughs> no, good. No, I mean, you can keep going. I don't know how firm I should be on this. Now I'm in a, you put me in a well, hard spot here. Like, like sugar, like sugar intake during long runs. Like there is definitely a, a limit to that, right? We, we, most people, one gram of car per minute is what our body can kind of comfortably oxidize or utilize. And so, you know, of course we can push that if we're 
talking about longer events, but, you know, up to 60 grams of carbs per hour for general, you know, we're talking about two hours or less. If we're kind of in that two and a half to three plus hour range, you might want to look upwards towards, you know, 90 grams, 60 to 90 grams of carbs per hour. So I'll say, but there is a limit. So you don't, you don't want to like just get as much as you can, but it's probably pretty hard to get. When, uh, M H fitter, when should runners opt for complex carbs and when should they go for simple carbs? That's a great question. I'll have a simple answer. Yeah. Simpler carbs are great in and around workout times. So right before your workout, you know, as a pre-workout snack or with your some of your breakfast during your workout, of course, we want simpler carbs. We want to be able to break down and utilize and access that energy more quickly. And post-workout, it's a great opportunity to just get quick carbs in. Otherwise, we want to be focused primarily on higher fiber, complex carbohydrates. I've got two really good questions. Should I keep eating a half a watermelon a day? per day. And if I do, will the seeds grow inside me? <laughs> um, if you like watermelon and you're meeting, still meeting your energy needs, because I would imagine by drinking, having, sorry, eating that much watermelon, you probably feel pretty waterful. Um, and it may, <laughs> as long as it doesn't interfere with meeting your actual protein and carb and overall energy needs for the day, I'm, I'm cool with the watermelon. Is there um, anything better than watermelon after a long hot run? That's delicious. Maybe watermelon yeah, uh, blended up so you can just like sip on it instead of, I don't know. Mm. That, would, that might be a little better. How much fiber is necessary? Watermelon blended with uh, coconut milk. It's a good combo. Okay. Really? Little ice. Mm. How much fiber is necessary oh, and how to yes. consume without pooping next to the homeless? <laughs> this is the question that started <laughs> our whole first podcast rant. Um, so... <laughs> General recommendations for fiber are um, actually it's based off of about 15 grams of fiber per thousand calories you're consuming. Um, for men, the general guideline rec- you know recommendations are going to be 30 grams or yeah 30 35 grams per day. And for women, it's 25 grams. Um, of course, going beyond that is totally fine. But you also want to be mindful. I have some clients that we really focus on increasing fiber, especially not or not in close proximity to races, of course, but, um, you know, in like the day or two leading up to it. But um, you want to be mindful of gradually increasing fiber so that you don't have any homeless um, pooping instances. Like that. Yeah, Although I'm, you're not into. Sure, I'm not sure that was fiber, uh, necessarily fiber focused. <laughs> There's no telling what that was. That was six straight hours at a family holiday party before a tempo run. <laughs> a lot of, uh, what are they, cocktail weenies with barbecue <laughs> sauce? Oh, God. The visual of that coming out of you. All right. Um, I chewed. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It doesn't matter. Uh, I wanted to be clear. It was just like this. Spud <laughs> gun. <laughs> I think I could eat those things without chewing with my gummy capabilities. Well, for sure. It could turn weird. All right. This fair, this question is unfair to ask in 60 seconds, but uh, we'll, maybe I'll allow you 30 seconds of grace here. Okay. And it's a really good question. Uh, Todd Sholo says, how low can you take fat consumption before it can affect hormone production? I think he's, what he's asking is how little fat can you eat before it starts affecting you hormonally if I'm st- fat averse, which I please, nobody out there 
be watching how much fat you're eating unless you're making sure you're eating enough, but continue. Go ahead. Yeah. Eat yeah. more fat, people. I'm not. I, I definitely, exactly. Like you, you can definitely, you will interfere with hormone, you know, balance and production and lots, lots of things that we don't want to, like I've worked with way too many former bodybuilders who, um, who have done a lot of damage in those years of, you know, extreme calorie restriction and, and taking fat very, very low. So I personally, uh, in some of my, some of my schooling, but also in just hands-on application with clients, I think anything less than 0.5 grams per kilogram is quite dangerous. I'd say 0.8, like 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight, um, is probably, I would be a little bit nervous to go much below that, but I would say 0.5 for sure. I don't even do the math on that. Yeah. Yeah. Where should people look to, to, to get that fat? Like, uh, and like, and if you could, like if you're a 150 pound person or a 200 pound person, how much does that actually, like people are probably bad at doing those calculations in their head. So if we are, if you're 150 pounds, you are 68 kilos. So if we're going off of 0.8 grams per kilogram, and that's what I say, like, I don't like to go, I don't like to give clients below those recommendations, but for a 150 pound person, that's 54 grams of that. Um, 0.5. That's, that's almost 500 calories of your daily intake coming from fat for people, like 450 to 500 calories of fat per day, which seems like astounding to people, but I just... I think it's it's one of my pet peeves. People who watch their fat intake and they try to eat low fat, and then they wonder why they feel like crap. But continue. Yeah. Now I will say, like I do when I do have clients watch their fat intake, it's because they because their fat intake is quite high. They aren't eating enough carbohydrate, and I think that that's really important too. So mm-hmm. I actually do, you know, I, I do think it's helpful to pay attention to fat intake and to you know there are definitely areas where people can reduce fat without having to just buy everything low fat, non-fat type deal. Fat definitely has its place. It's important to help make us feel full from meals. Like there's that satiation effect too. But that's secondary to, you know, fat soluble vitamin absorption, right? Vitamins A, D, E, and K are all fat soluble. They need fat, the presence of fat to absorb. And usually those foods are going to contain those types of vitamins anyway. So we really want to make sure we're getting enough fat. Um, But I also go off of, so I kind of use the 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight at times um, as like a minimum, but I never really like to go below 20% of total calories either. So when you do, you know, if you know what your total calorie intake, let's just go off of um, 2000 calories. That's going to come out to, you know, if you're eating a 2000 calorie diet, that's 40, 20% is 44 grams of fat. I wouldn't go below that and i and i think you know that's sometimes depending on the individual and depending on the intake like that 20 percent might not really make a lot of sense um and that's when i might go off of the winning transfer program but that's important that's really important i i get very nervous around very like low fat diets um so that those would be my answers there did i answer the question for mm-hmm. yeah i think they just want to know how little is too little I know when I was down to below 3% body fat in college when I was pretty sick, um, I mean, my testosterone levels plummeted. I mean, tested. They were awful. Uh, hormone production had to be nil. My hair was falling out. Like, I was 
I, and it was all, I mean, I was too lean just from a body composition standpoint. My energy was terrible. Like I know just that alone, let alone like it could lead to that, which is ultimately destructive. But as far as consuming, like I had never looked, I wasn't looking at it at the time, but I know too lean is not good for sure. No, I'm I done. Think that's I, I'm done with my perfect spot to end. And on, on Kirk's sad story, Kirk, I don't know that story. So I'm <laughs> about that. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, the dark years. That's why I'm racing so hard now. I'm making up for lost time. Yeah. Yeah, if you ever have hours to kill, we did a get to know your host episode probably two years ago plus, and Kirk detailed his harrowing journey through college. I'll give that a listen. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's not about, this isn't about me. It's about Corinna and her facts. (laughs) Today. That was fun. I appreciate you guys. So anything else? Are you talking to me, Kirk, or are you talking to Bracken? No, I, oh, I had a frozen screen. I'm sorry. Um, uh, both of you, I guess, really. I just want to make sure that because you've been so generous with your time that um, people know where to find you, right? Like um, you're doing this not asking for anything in return, but I think you should get something in return, right, for you know helping us out and giving us your time. I know your schedule is busy trying to coordinate with you, so just make sure if they didn't hear it on the last episode about a month ago how they can get in touch with you uh, for your help uh, with their yeah. nutrition needs. Absolutely. Um, well, you can find me on my website. So it's the RD athlete.com. People always ask me what the RD is. It's registered dietitian. So that's, um, that's my website. There's a lot of content, even if you're just like, Oh, I don't even know where to necessarily go on the website. You can, there's plenty of instances where it's, you know, get in touch or contact me and I'll take you right to my, my, uh, coaching email on my Instagram page, I have a link in my bio that's um, an application form to work with me. So you guys can, I, I get all of those. I'm not, sometimes it takes me a couple days to get back, but um, but yeah, you can find me there and find me on Instagram at the RD athlete. Um, lots, lots of different ways. And yeah, my, my email, I'm pretty, res- pretty responsive eventually. <laughs> I know sometimes I get influxes and then takes a a minute but yeah find me look me up um and yeah i think that's those are the primary places thank you so much for coming on kind of rounding out the experience from last time we left the audience wanting more and now they got it i got it and a little extra from (laughs) bragging no thanks guys i appreciate you having me and it was fun so thanks guys Mm -hmm.